Um, regardless of, of who you are and, and your background, where you've been, uh, what your experience has been, something that is true for all of us is that um, no one starts out in life wanting to just have a, a bland, mediocre, empty existence. Right? I mean, nobody, nobody starts off and, and says, you know, I just hope that I have a, a really meaningless life. You know, th- that's my goal. Uh, I, I just don't want to amount to anything. I don't really want to have any great experiences that define me. I just want to kind of coast through life and just have this, this just really empty experience. Nobody does that. No one desires that. No one says that. Right? At our core... At our core, all of us, all of us, we don't want to just survive. We don't want to just exist. Every one of us wants to thrive. We all want that. We all feel that deep within us. There's this desire very early on in life that that continues and builds and grows the longer you live that, that you just want to thrive, to really thrive in life. And to know what it is to have a thriving life. That's everyone's desire. That's everybody's core need that they feel. Along the way, though, things happen, right? You get distracted. You get involved with certain choices that that end up causing outcomes that you didn't desire and that you didn't want. And, And before long, things can spiral out of control, And many, many, many people in our world today and through every generation, unfortunately, experience the the total opposite of a thriving life. They experience an empty, drained, dry life. But they still want a thriving life. The question then is not, do they want that? Do people want to thrive in life? That's not the question. The question is, how? Right? How do we find that kind of life? How do we get the thriving life? What's the way to find that? And somebody else asked that question, someone very, very famous uh, in his day and really even in our day. Many people know about Solomon. King Solomon was the third king of Israel. And uh, his major claim to fame was that he was called and considered uh, by, by God, by Scripture, to be the wisest man to ever live. To the wisest man to ever live. And, and Solomon, the wisest person to ever live, asked this same question. He didn't exactly word it this way, but he asked this question. What does it take, what's involved to thrive in life, to really thrive? How do I find a thriving kind of life. And so here's King Solomon. He's, he's incredibly wealthy. Not only is he the wisest person of his day, he's also the wealthiest king of his day. And he just took a big step back. And he said, you know what? I, I'm going I'm to take this, this really objective, honest look at all of life. And my whole goal in, in taking this approach is to find out what exactly is involved, what is meant to have a thriving kind of life. What's the answer? And so he, he explored all these different avenues and aspects of life. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, we have kind of a, a journal of sorts, of all of his experiences, all of his investigations, all the questions he asked about life, just from a totally non-biased, objective point of view. Ecclesiastes is a great, great book. 
If you haven't read it, you really should. I mean, it's, it's excellent, excellent, just brilliant writing and literature and, and profound observations. Well, in, in terms of asking where the thriving life is found, uh, what Solomon found pretty quickly is where it's not found. And that was, that was really what ended up being true of all of his observations as he explored, how do I get the thriving life? How do I find the thriving life? What ended up happening, his, the answers were where it's not found. And that's really a good place to start. You know, we kind of get that out of the way. Before we find out where it is found, the thriving life, where it's found, it, it's good for us also to find out where it's not found so we don't kind of make those mistakes, right? We can, we can avoid those before we get started. So I'm not going to actually have us look into Ecclesiastes, but I just want you to note uh, what three major things that Solomon found as far as where the thriving life will not be found, okay? Uh, it's not going to be found, first of all, in education, it's not going to be found in education. Now, that does not mean drop out of school, don't, don't, uh, don't try to make something better of yourself, don't pursue education. That's not what this is saying. What Solomon found out, though, when he looked at all the, the options for, for education and advancing himself, he found at the end of it that it was empty, that it just didn't satisfy. He said, I applied my mind to learning And I explored all there was to explore. I I applied every aspect of my mind to to trying to know all there was to know. And he did it. But at the end of that, he said, but all of this is vanity. It's emptiness. It's chasing after the wind. It doesn't fulfill me. It doesn't satisfy me. It It doesn't answer that longing that I still feel. I can't thrive just by focusing on education and advancing myself and expanding my intellect. It just doesn't cut it. That's not the answer to the thriving life. You can find those observations in Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 18. So it wasn't education. That wasn't enough to get him thriving in life. Not really, not, not, uh, not maintaining that anyway. So he said, you know what, if it's not intellect, if it's not education... I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put myself in, in every opportunity to get all the pleasure I can out of life. I'm just going to wring life dry of all the pleasure I can get. I'm going to go for the gusto. And that certainly is something that our, our culture can relate to, right? It's all about the moment. It's all about the feeling. It's all about getting a, as much of an emotional high as you can. So Solomon did that. He went to all the avenues of every type of pleasure. He tasted all the food, all the wine. He, 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 he indulged himself with women. He, I mean, everything he could think of, entertainment, you name it, he did it. All in the hopes of finding what it really took to get that thriving life that he and everyone else desired. But at the end of all that experience, he said the same thing. All of this was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Vanity of vanities. That's in Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. So after education didn't work, after pleasure didn't work, he still didn't, didn't have that thriving life, not really, not fully. So he said, you know what? I'm going to apply myself to work hard. I'm going to just labor. So he did that. He, he observed all the other people working and all the toil, and he took part in all the, the different construction projects that he had ordered, and, and he just really dug in and got his hands dirty, and he observed everyone who was really working hard, and he thought, surely, surely here, 
Surely in working hard and, and, and putting your hands to labor, that's where fulfillment will take place. That's where I'll finally experience the thriving kind of life. But, of course, that didn't work either. He said, that's empty too. It's meaningless, vanity. And that observation is in Ecclesiastes 2, 18-26. So education wasn't enough. Pleasure wasn't enough. Work wasn't enough. At the end of the book, he said that the sum of the matter is this. Fear God. Fear God. In other words, after all of his observations, he finally realized, you know what? The only answer to any kind of thriving in life is going to be found in God. It's going to be found in God. And that's just as relevant to us today. Because there's so many people that go through life knowing I have this hole in me, this emptiness. I have this desire to thrive, but I just can't figure out how to, how to actually fulfill that desire. I can't find the answer, the right answer to my question. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to advance myself. So they, they go to all the schools they can. They get all the degrees they can. But at the end of the day, when they have every degree you can get, guess what? They're still empty. Right? Because just pursuing education and advancing and building up your intellect, while, while beneficial in many ways, it's not going to be enough to really give you a thriving kind of life. Certainly not one that you can maintain. Not one that will last and endure. So other people then, you know, they, they try pleasure. They go that route. And they just fill their life with every kind of, of earthly human pleasure possible. Sex, drugs, music, entertainment, food. I mean, that's a big reason why you have shows like The Biggest Loser that are so popular, right? Because you have people on there every time they, they do a new show and they ask, they ask what, what led you to this point? It's always something has happened in their life that let them down. Something wasn't fulfilling, so they looked at food. They chased after food and they just went all at it. And, and then that's where they're in the shape they're in with with being in, on Biggest Loser. You have, you have shows like The Bachelor and, and other similar shows where people are just, they're looking for that right relationship and, and to get to that right relationship, they bounce from person to person to person to person. Our college campuses are full of that. Uh, an unfortunate, very, very visible example of, of the hedonism of chasing after pleasure. You just go to any major university campus and it's right there. People pursuing pleasure to find the answer to how can I thrive in life. And then work. You know the phrase workaholic, right? Some people just, that, that's, they don't know when to quit. They don't know how to stop. And, and they're always having to do something else. When one project is done, they jump to another. Because that's where they find their identity. That's where they find their, their meaning or their value or their purpose. And working hard is good. That's a good thing. We, we need a good, strong work ethic. We need people that want to work and know how to do a good job and, and are able to do just about anything. That's a good thing. But when you're pursuing that to answer the question of how do I thrive in life, it's still going to leave you empty, just like these other things will. It's just not found there. It's not found there. And, and unfortunately, this kind of empty pursuit, it's not limited to just the secular world. It's not limited to the unsaved person. Many, many, many Christians 
still experience, even after being saved, experience a dry, empty, just discouraged Christian experience. Right? Right? I mean, have you been there? I'm sure you have at some point. If not, you know, you you might possibly be able to be there. It, It can happen, and it does happen. To many, many, many Christians, maybe you're here today and that's true of you. You know you're saved, but man, you just don't have any passion with your calling. You don't have any vitality to your Christian life. It's just like you're going through the motions, you're on autopilot. You're just kind of drifting through almost in like this dreamlike state. Well, a lot of the reason for that is because of the wrong focus. Because somewhere along the line, you you fell out of alignment with where thriving really takes place. You fell out of alignment with the source of thriving, which is Jesus Christ alone. I want you to look at this quote that I have on your insert. It's by John Foreman, who is the lead singer of Switchfoot, a Christian band, Switchfoot. He's the front man, the lead singer, the primary songwriter, been around a long time, great, great uh, artist, great band. And uh, he says this. This is just a very good, honest observation that he wrote this song with. It says this, A steering wheel doesn't mean you can drive. A warm body doesn't mean I'm alive. No, I'm not all right. I know that I'm not right. Feel like I travel, but I never arrive. I want to thrive, not just survive. I want to thrive, not just survive. That's everyone's core desire. It's your desire. It's my desire. No matter who we are, what our background is, that's our main desire that is universally true of all human beings. We don't want to just survive. We don't want to just exist. We don't want to just kind of cope. We don't want to just coast through life. We want to really thrive. We want to experience what it is to have a thriving life. I know that that some of you can relate right now to that sentiment that, that is expressed in this song. And if you can't now, you have at some point in your life and you know someone who, who absolutely lives right there, right in this place of, of what this song says. Where you feel like you're just traveling, you're, you're spinning your wheels, you keep on going, but you never arrive. And you're weary and you're drained because you just keep on going, but there's no rest, there's no end to the struggle. And you say, I want to thrive. I don't want to just keep surviving. It's not enough. Well, thankfully, thankfully, there is an answer to the question. Thankfully, there's a solution. And here's what it is. I want you to, I want you to, to really focus in and hear and pay attention to this, this truth, this reality. Thriving in life, which we all want, thriving in life, requires abiding in Christ. Thriving in life requires abiding in Christ. Now, we don't go around um, talking about abiding that much. That's just not a word we use a lot. Um, but what abiding means simply is living. It's where you live. It's, it's, it's living. It's dwelling. Um, it's, it's where you are. It's just, it's the place that you put down your roots. So, you know, we don't go around saying, hey, where do you abide? But we do say, where do you live, right? 
Oh, I live over so-and-so. I, you don't say, I, I abide over so-and-so. But, but you mean, that you know, I live at this place. I live in this neighborhood. I live in this community. This is where I have my roots. This is where my family is. This is the community I'm part of. So it, it's that, that concept. Thriving life requires abiding or, or living in Christ. And in John 15, verses 4 through 5, Jesus himself talks about how absolutely important it is to abide or to live, to remain, to stay in him in order to thrive in life. He really explains it very clearly, and he talks about how vital that is to us if we want to thrive in life, which we all do. So it makes sense then that we would pay attention to what he has to say. Solomon told us what, where, where thriving in life is not found, and he was you know, the wisest human to ever live. And it's good to pay attention to that. But what we really need to pay attention to is the divine Son of God telling us where we can find the thriving life, right? So so let's let's really zero in and and pay attention to what he has to say to us in John 15, 4 through 5. Here here we go. John 15, 4 says this. Remain, that's abiding. Remain, that's living, that's dwelling, that's choosing to stay it's like, you know, you're house hunting and you, you see all these different options, but you finally find that one, that right one, that house that you know is, is right for you. It's meant to be. You, you go through all the process and you choose, that's going to be my home. That's where I'm going to live. That's the concept here. That's what he means by remain. It means choose to stay. Wrap yourself up in me. Be saturated by me. Okay? Remain in me, in Christ. And here, here's an incredible promise. And I will remain in you. Isn't that awesome? Choose to remain in me. Choose to stay in me. Be absorbed by me. Remain in me. And I, the living, eternal, resurrected Christ, I will remain in you. That's a promise for everyone who comes to Christ, receiving him as Lord and Savior. It's really the same concept as Galatians 2.20 talks about. Galatians 2.20 is a great verse. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, you know, the physical body, the physical flesh that you still have, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, when we come to Christ... When we receive him as our Savior and our Lord, this miraculous change takes place. It's, it's where I die to the, to the old me. Who I was before Christ dies. I die to self. I die to sin. I die to the flesh. And Christ miraculously gives me new life in him. And he raises me to new life found in him. It's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 is all about. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's the concept. So when I come to Christ, the old me, who I was, is put to death, but I still live. I'm still alive. But the life that I live now is tied directly to the life of Jesus in me. And he brings his life and his power and his freedom through me. That's what happens when you come to Christ. It's an amazing, miraculous thing. And that's what really is, is meant here in Christ's words where he says, uh, remain in me and I will remain in you. In other words, if, if you just put all of your life into me, I will give you my life and I will live my life in and through you. Isn't that amazing? 
Isn't that amazing? That's what we need. That's what we all long for. We all hunger for. The problem is we look to so many different sources to satisfy what only he can. We look to all these other examples and avenues of life that aren't really life, not in the fullest, when full, rich, lasting life can only be found in Christ. And it's what he offers. Remain in me and I will remain in you. I'll live through you. So let's go back to what he says here. Uh, He says, remain in me and I will remain in you just as the branch, just as the branch and, and the, the original word here that's used, the Greek word that's used here for branch, is it's a flimsy, tender, small branch. Um, you know, when we think of branch, naturally, we tend to think of you know, like, a, like a sturdy, thick branch that's pretty hard to break. Even if it falls down, it's tough to break. And you know, we think of, of like you know, an, an oak branch or a maple branch or something like that, something thick and sturdy. That's what we just naturally think of. But when Jesus said... Um, just as the branch, he was talking about a flimsy, thin, tender little branch. And this is, this is actually a, a grapevine branch. This is, this is something that, um, that you see like in an arbor or in a vineyard. And this is something very, very thin. It's not hard to break at all. I mean, it's just not much at all to it. It's just, it's just this insignificant thing. That's really what he's referring to when he says the branch here in this, in this text. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. So what he's saying is, he says, think, think about, look at a vineyard. And, and uh, you know, they probably were in a vineyard, he and his disciples. This is, this is as he was getting ready to go to the cross. This is the last little bit of dialogue he had with them. Uh, this was like final instructions before he went to the cross. And, um, you know, I, I really think that they were probably in a vineyard at this point. I mean, that, you don't see that, but I, I really see that picture in my mind. And he's pointing around, and he's looking, and he says, you know, guys, let me just show you something here. I, I, I want to teach you a little bit here. And he points to, to the vineyard and he says, you know, see this branch, this thin little branch? There's just nothing to it. And, and just like this flimsy, tender branch has no possible means of producing fruit by itself, in and of itself, unless it's connected, tied, anchored to the vine where all the nutrients and all the strength and all the vitality for the entire plant or tree comes from, just like that's an impossibility, a scientific impossibility, this thing will by itself, separated from the vine, produce all this wonderful fruit. Just like that can't happen, so it is with you. Neither will you, no matter how strong you might be, no matter how much you love me, no matter how much you desire righteousness, no matter how closely you follow me, you in and of yourself, my disciples, cannot possibly bear any fruit apart from me. And so often, so often what we do is, is we try to do that. You know, it's like we, we, we try hard and, and we, we think hard and we come up with all these brilliant ways of, of being the Christian that we think we need to be or know we should be. And then when no fruit happens, we get discouraged and we don't know what's, why, you know what's going on. Why is this happening? Why don't I see more fruit in my life? Why don't I have more 
fulfillment in my Christian experience? Maybe you've asked that or thought that or something similar. If that's true, if you've thought that, if you've asked that, the next question you need to ask is, am I depending on the vine? Am I surrendered to the vine? And a very hard question, but a very important one is, am I connected to the vine at all? Has there ever been a point where I've abandoned all other sources that I'm clinging to, all other things I'm anchoring to, which, no matter how they appear, are always going to be flimsy, tender little branches, no matter how strong they may seem, have I abandoned all other sources of dependence and trust and reliance, and am I clinging to the vine, the only vine, the the true vine, Jesus Christ? Let's look at verse 5. I am the vine. This is Jesus speaking. I am the vine. He just got done saying, just as the, the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. And then he, he says, I am the vine. In verse 1 of this chapter, he, he actually starts off by saying, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. That means he is the ultimate, eternal, perfect Vine and the only source of constant power, constant life, constant purpose. He was contrasting himself with with Israel. Ancient Israel had been known as as a vineyard, and it was on on everything that they you know they embossed or engraved, like their their coins, and they were referred to as God's vineyard. And in in Isaiah chapter 5, God rebukes the nation of Israel and he said, you were to be my choice vineyard planted by me. You were supposed to yield this fruit, this beautiful, brilliant fruit that, that all people would want, that all the nations would want to come to. But you didn't do that. You rejected me. You went your own way. And now your fruit is rotten and it's spoiled and there's no use for you whatsoever. You're no good. Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. I am the fulfillment of the picture that Israel was supposed to be, but failed to be. I am the true, the only vine. I am the ultimate vine, the eternal vine, the source of everything you need. I am the source of thriving in life, is what he was saying. So he says, I am the vine. The vine. The question is, What vine are you depending on? What vine are you searching for? Are you anchoring yourself? Are you rooting yourself to the true vine, Jesus Christ, the only source of life, the only source of purpose, the only source of lasting joy, the only source of a thriving life? Are you anchored to him? Are you depending on him? Are you trusting in him? Or or are are you still kind of tied to these other false artificial vines that will never really enable you to thrive, that will never really fulfill you, that will always leave you wanting. That's the question you have to ask. What vine are you depending on? What vine are you tied to? This is such a common reason for a discouraged, defeated, dry experience in our Christian life. As Christians, it's because we still look to all these other 
vines that aren't the true vine to fill us up, to give us that thriving life that we all are seeking for. But it's never going to happen. It's only found in Jesus Christ, the ultimate, the true vine. So he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, there's that that abiding again, the one who remains in me, the one who chooses to be saturated by me, the one who lives in me. And I in him bears much fruit. See, we all want, we all want to see fruit in our lives. We know that's what we're called to. We know that's what we're meant to to have and to experience. We all want to know that that's what we're producing. That's the only time we're going to be satisfied in the Christian life is if we are producing fruit because we're called to that. That's what we're meant to do. We're We're not saved just so we can sit around until heaven. We're saved so that we can serve. We're saved, we're created anew in Christ unto good works. It's what Ephesians is all about. Ephesians 2 says that we are God's workmanship or his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus unto or for good works. We're saved so that we can then produce righteousness, spiritual fruit. That's what we're called to do. It's what we're meant to do. But it's only going to happen when we, as the, the flimsy, tender branches that can't do anything on our own, when we are anchored, tied, rooted to the vine, Jesus Christ, the ultimate and true vine. And, and let me just point out, if you are in Christ, genuinely in Christ, then you are completely tied to the vine Jesus Christ, just as much as any Christian is. There is a very, very dangerous and very false teaching that's prevalent in many circles. And that is that only those in my position, the pastor, the evangelist, the missionary, only those types of people are uniquely tied to the vine or, or especially tied to the vine, that they're the ones that are connected to the vine and, and those under them benefit from the connection to the vine that they have. In other words, it's a top-down mentality, trickle-down, where only those that are the bishops, the overseers, the elders, they're the ones that are connected to the vine, to Christ, and everybody else just benefits from their connection. Wrong. False. Lie of Satan. If you are in Christ, genuinely in Christ, then you are connected to him, to the vine, grafted into him just as much as anyone else is. Remember that and believe that. Now that does not mean that we can't all get distracted and we we don't kind of shoot our little branch over and try to tie it to something else. We do that. And that's what I just said is... is the reason for such a a discouraged life so many times. But even when we do that, here's the encouraging thing. Even when we we look at other supposed vines and we, we try to anchor ourselves to those, that does not mean we don't continue to be connected to the vine. Because it's not dependent on me, it's not dependent on you, it's not my effort or my strength that keeps me holding on to the vine. No, the vine keeps holding on to me. 
That does not mean there are not periods of painful pruning. In this passage, in the verses preceding where we are, we're told that that God the Father is the gardener. And that he comes through the vineyard and he looks at all the branches connected to the vine, his son, and he will prune them. He will cut away. Why? So that they will produce more and more fruit. Because that's how fruit is produced. It's cutting away of the the old. It's cutting away of the dried up. It's cutting away of the baggage so that the new fruit can come out. This is why I'm, a, I'm, I'm not a, a very good uh, vine dresser. You know, we, in, in a couple places we've lived, we've had, we had grapevines. Well, our first home, when we were first married here in Beckley, had a beautiful arbor. And, um, and there were, there were some, some grapes there when we first moved. And <laughs> I just thought, oh, great, we're going to always have grapes. So when the next season came around and we didn't have grapes, I, did, I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand it. And even if I had done what I should have, I mean, we had little Jack Russell Terriers who ate the grapevine, so it wouldn't have mattered anyway. But I I went to Leanne's dad, who is Mr. Green Hand, not just green thumb, he's like green hand. I mean, like he'll walk past something and and he'll start growing. You know, it's really something. Um, I asked him about it. I was like, why why don't I have grapes? He said, well, did did you prune away all the old branches? Did you prune away... Even the, the old fruit that was still there when you came in, when you first moved, I said, no. He said, that's why. You've got to prune away stuff. Even fruit that, that is, is right there on a branch, if it's been there a while, you've got to get rid of it so that the new growth can come and it keeps coming. It's like, oh, okay. Didn't realize that. So the Father, in love and in wisdom, will come and he will prune. He'll cut away what needs to be cut away so that more fruit can be produced, And it might feel and it might seem in the moment of pruning because it is painful. It might seem as if God is, is just punishing you or, or that his favor no longer rests on you or, or, oh, this means I must not really be connected. Why is he cutting things away? No, 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 no. It's, it's because he loves you and he knows what is best for you and he wants more fruit to be produced. We're told in, uh, in Hebrews that, that the father will discipline every son whom he loves. And, and that's a process. It's part of it. If you're in Christ, you're going to experience pruning. If you're in the vine, you're going to experience pruning. That's actually a direct sign you are connected to the vine if you're experiencing pruning. But please, please know and believe, child of God, you are just as much connected to the vine as me, as I am, as any of the pastoral staff here or any other pastor, it's us together. It's the branches together producing more fruit together for the sake of the vine, Christ, and his kingdom. It, it's, a, it's a group effort, okay? So the one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. And what does it mean by fruit? I mean, what's the analogy there? What's the metaphor? We really, we really can understand a lot of what that's all about by looking at Galatians 5, 22 through 23, the fruit of the Spirit, um, which says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's no restriction. Against such things, against love, joy, and peace, and forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those things, that's the fruit of the Spirit. What Spirit? The Holy Spirit. God the Spirit. Whom you have by being in Christ. 
If you're connected to the vine, to Jesus Christ, by, by surrendering your life to him, receiving him as your Savior and Lord, not only are you connected to him, not only is his life lived through you now, you have the very Spirit of God in you now, producing this kind of fruit. Righteous fruit. Fruit that we're all called to, that we all desire to produce if we are in Christ. So it's that kind of fruit. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. The key is the one who remains in me. That's the key. That's where the thriving life comes from. That's where the fruit producing life comes from. And he says again, because, look at this, look at this. Because apart from me, outside of me, you can accomplish, let me hear you say it, nothing. Apart from me, apart from the vine, apart from Christ, no matter how long you've been saved, no matter how much Bible you know, no matter how many times you pray, no matter how much Christian music you listen to, no matter how, no matter how many times you come to church, apart from constant Total dependence on Christ, you, me, all of us can accomplish nothing. It's, it's like trying to turn on a lamp that's not connected to any power. And, and we sit there, you know, for minutes or hours and we're, we're messing with this. Why isn't this lamp working? What's wrong with this lamp? Oh, this lamp is just stupid. Why can't I get it to work? It's like somebody would come along and say, um, is it plugged in? You know? Oh, I've been there. I'm sure you have too. Where for whatever reason something has happened or, or, or there's some situation and, and you as a Christian, it, you just can't seem to figure out why, why don't I have purpose in my life? Why don't I feel the same passion that I once did for the gospel and for the Savior uh, of that gospel? Why, why, why don't I see results in my Christian life? Why don't I see fruit? All these other people, I see them producing fruit left and right. What's wrong with me? Why can't I figure this out? I guess this Christian thing is just not for me. I guess this Christian life isn't what it was promised to be, but it's just the same as, as trying to get a, a lamp that's not plugged in to work. And then the Holy Spirit, with, with grace and with gentleness, but with truth, will come along and say, it's because... You're just not plugged in. You've allowed your, your plug to come out of the wall. You've pulled it out. You're still part of me. You're still, you know, you're still a lamp that will and can work. You just have to remember that you've got to stay connected to the source. doesn't change the fact that you are someone that belongs to God, someone that he will and desires to use, but it's not found in your own effort. It's not found in plugging into your power source. That won't work. It's found in plugging into the constant power source, Jesus Christ. He's the one. He's the one. So, what does all this mean practically? Well, we all want to experience thriving in life generally, but we also, all of us, want to experience thriving in life very specifically in some very key areas of life. And I just want to share that with you. I know you're going you're gonna to agree it's going to resonate with you. We all want to experience a thriving in life when it comes to our witness as Christians. If you're in Christ, you're going to have a desire to tell others about him. You you know that's part of your DNA now. You know that's what you're called to. So many times, though, we get tripped up with with how or or we get get discouraged with, with our fear about it. 
We don't know what to say or how to say it and, and what's, the, what's the best method or the best strategy and we can get tied up in that and then we don't do it at all. But the thriving life that's available to us in Christ, the, the source of power is available to us in our witness. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are Christ's ambassadors. We've talked about that over the last couple of weeks here. We are Christ's ambassadors, that, that God is making his appeal through us. But here's the thing. We can't do that in our strength. We can't do that in our effort. Even the most brilliant witnessing strategy that we come up with is still a strategy we come up with. The way to effectively witness the gospel and evangelize to other people is to take what you have received by Christ to tell your story of redemption to other people and to allow God to speak through you by his spirit and to trust him to do the work. So many times we wrongly think that it's up to us to save the people that we talk to. That's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's work. Your job is to be there as an instrument, as as a conduit. Think of the lamp as a conduit of his truth and his power into that life. So the, the, the thriving life is available to you in your witness. Secondly, it's available to you in your marriage. In your marriage. In your marriage. Now we all want this, right? Husbands, wives. We know how, how incredibly discouraging it can be in our marriages when we're trying to love each other the way we're supposed to love each other on our strength or by our effort. It's just not going to last. In many cases, it's not going to happen at all. Ephesians 5, 22 to 25, we won't go into it, but basically a summary. Paul there says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Whoa. And, And wives are everywhere saying, do you know who I'm married to? Do you remember who you brought into my life? Submit to him? And he goes on, says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. In other words, die to yourself, sacrifice yourself for the sake of your wife. And men, I mean, come on, let's get real. We can't do that. Not on our own. We're far too selfish. No amens from the wives. We're far too selfish, self-centered. We want what we want. We want it the way we want it. No matter how much you love your wife, I'm not saying you don't, but no matter how much you love her, no matter how much I love mine, we cannot love them to the degree we're commanded to here to the extent that Christ loved the church. I can't do that. Neither can you. In ourselves. By ourselves. And same with you, wives, in submitting to your husbands as unto the Lord. We cannot do that in our own effort. And when we try, that's when we fail. And when we fail, that's why we get so discouraged. And that's a big source of so many problems in our marriage. But here's the good news. If you are in Christ, you're connected to the vine where thriving comes from. And that includes and applies to your marriage. He enables you, husband, to love your wife as Christ loved the church. He enables you, wife, to submit to your husband as unto the Lord. He enables. He enables. And then lastly, also, in our treatment of others, we, we all know how we can come up short there and how we respond to one another, how we treat each other, you know, our actions toward one another. We can fall short in that so many times, so many ways. But the good news is, again, we are, if we're connected to the vine, to Christ, he allows us to thrive even in this as well. Galatians 6.10 tells us, Do good to all, do good to all men, do good to every person, especially 
to the household of faith, to your fellow believers. And so many times we fall short in this, you know, where, where we, uh, somebody pulls out in front of us in traffic and, and we uh, may be tempted to give them a nice little greeting, right? Um, if we don't do that, the thought's in our head. Uh, we, we, we get really impatient in the checkout line when the person in front of us is taking forever. They've bought like the whole store. And you're like sitting there like, I, I, I really need to get out of here. And, and, and that fuse starts shortening. Uh, at home, you're stressed. You come home from a stress, uh, stress day and you, you bring that stress in your home and your kids are driving you nuts and, and, and this needs done and that needs done and that fuse just gets shorter and shorter and shorter. You come into church to the place of worship and the person that you've had a problem with for 10 years that you try to avoid corners you and then there's that, that tension there. What do I do here? Do I confess my bitterness toward them and, and ask their forgiveness and move on or do I harbor it? So in, in, in treatment of other people, where it's often so hard for us to do what we're called to do, don't depend on yourself. Don't try in your strength. Remember, I'm connected to the vine. I have the constant source of all power and all enablement, and I have the source of thriving in every area of life at my disposal. And you choose to surrender to that again and yield to that again and again and again. So All of this, all that we're talking about, the thriving life, remaining rooted to that vine, focused on the vine, surrendering and yielding to him, allowing his power to enable you to thrive in every area of life, all this is by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, church. All of it's by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He keeps us connected to the vine, all believers, all of us. And he applies the power that the vine, Jesus Christ, makes constantly available. So the question is this, are you yielding yourself to him? Are you focused on him? Are you connected every moment of every day to the vine that you are overall connected to? He maintains the flow of power to every area of our life. Are you allowing him to? Are you, are you getting out of his way? Are you, are you just opening yourself up to the power that he makes available, that he will flow through you, you the flimsy tender branch that in yourself can do nothing, but as part of the vine, there's nothing you cannot do. Are you thinking of it that way? That's the question. Let's, let's have prayer together and close out. We all want to thrive. I know you agree with that. You know you feel that. We all want to know what it is to thrive in life. It's only found in Christ. It's only found in Christ and it's only made available and that experience moment by moment is only available and kept for us by the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way way you can experience the, the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is by surrendering your life to Christ, by receiving him as your Savior and Lord. Not just recognizing that he is the Savior, You've got to make it personal. You've got to say, I, I need you, Jesus. Save me. Be my Lord. And if you have never done that at any point where you have committed who you are, all of you, to all that Christ is, there is no reason to to wait on that. There's no reason to put that off. That just doesn't make sense. You have the opportunity right now, this moment, today, to give your life to Christ, to be brought into the vine, rooted in there, anchored there, where you can receive everything that is necessary for a thriving life in every area of life. 
And I just wonder, is there anyone here that would say, you described me exactly today. That's exactly who I am. I'm not part of the vine. I'm not part of Christ. I've never given my life to him. But I know I need that. I want that. Please, please help me in doing that today. Show me what I need to do. Tell me what I need to do. There are people in the back standing by ready to talk with you, to counsel with you in grace and in love to speak the truth of the word of God with you in more details, to pray with you. If you have any need at all, please take advantage of these people who are in the back ready to talk with you. I'm going to pray in a minute, and as I pray, I just encourage you to do that, to get up from your seat, go find them in the back, and talk with them in whatever ways you need to. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for being who you are, Thank you for being the perfect gardener of the vineyard of your son. Thank you for calling us and drawing us, those who are in Christ, to him and enabling us to receive salvation and life found only in your son and giving us your spirit in his name. Thank you for the promise and the reality that we have in and through Christ, the vine, that if we are connected to him, though we are flimsy, tender branches that can do nothing in and of ourselves, as we are connected to him, we will see fruit in every area of our life be produced as we allow him to work. We will see and experience a thriving kind of life, not just a mediocre existence. And and thank you so much, Father, for making that available to, to us. Thank you for not holding that back, but for giving to all who come. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. I pray, Father, that if there is anyone here at all who has not yet committed their lives fully and totally to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that right now, this moment, this day, would be the day they do that. That they would experience what it really is and what it really means to have a thriving kind of life, to experience life to the fullest, to know what it is to to be connected to Jesus the vine and all that that means. May that be their experience today. For those of us who are already connected to the vine, thank you for that. But I pray that you would work in our hearts and that you would allow us to, to, to welcome your pruning work in us knowing that it's always going to be for our good and your glory. Help us to get rid of anything we're holding on to that's keeping fruit from being produced as it's meant to in our lives. Help us to abandon any other source of fulfillment that we're looking to. Help us to let go of any other false vine we're holding on to and cling to the vine that we're connected to. I pray this all by your Spirit. I pray this all in accordance with your will. And I pray this all in Jesus' amazing name. Amen.